Good evening and welcome to another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. I'm your host, Hank and Dictor, and today we've got a pretty special episode for you today. We have a lot to cover. We are going to be going over the Subway Series this weekend, the City Field Edition, as you guys already know. The Yankees played the Mets in the first Subway Series in the Bronx during the weekend of the 4th of July, but obviously this weekend the Yankees will go down to City Field on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 as they play the Mets, which I can't think of a more fitting matchup on the anniversary of what was a pretty horrible day for New York City, but between two teams that really reunited the city upon something really tragic. But as we talk about that, let's get let's get right into this. I got two guests on today and two guys whose faces you all are very familiar with. And I'm going to put them on here one by one. First off, we got the host of 3ND, Paul Lombardi. Paul, how's it going? Good, Hank. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited to talk some baseball with you, go back and forth a little bit with you over the Yankees and the Mets. But, of course, we got Dom Danielli as well. Pretty much two of the three guests that we had on the last Subway Series roundtable. Dom, how's it going? Pretty good, Hank. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. I am... I'm super hyped up for this weekend, guys. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, I think this is really going to be a make-or-break weekend for both the teams. And quite frankly, I don't really think I've seen a week like this ever before, like this late in the season in a match between both those teams. And I'm not counting the 2000 World Series, obviously. I'm talking about regular season. Of course. Well, it's true. It's definitely true. Uh, We usually don't see September Yankees-Mets matchups, too, that often. But, um, you know, the two – with these two teams being, you know, so deep into the playoff race as they are, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. And I think that the winner of this series kind of means a lot more than a normal Subway series. For sure. And, you know, it's weird. Both of them. It's funny how in the middle of the season you had the Yankees and the Mets trending in opposite directions. Like after that Subway series, the last one. The Yankees were at 500. They were 41 and 41. It seemed like the sky was falling. Like everyone thought the season was done. Then they proceed to rattle off series win after series win. And they look like they're pretty unstoppable. And the Mets, on the other hand, you know, they suffer injury after injury. Nothing goes right. And then for a whole week, they're on the back pages of the New York newspapers for all the wrong reasons. Yes. And now all of a sudden, it's, it's turning back into that 180 again. I don't get it. But, you know, a wise man once said, well, Susan, you can't predict baseball. And, you know, 
that's just how it goes. But Paul, I know you have a lot that you want to say regarding Javier Baez and a lot of the drama that's gone on with the New York Mets. So I'm going to let you take the floor for this one. Awesome. Appreciate it, Hank. Uh, it's been wild. It has definitely been wild. You know, it's been a lot of ups and downs. I think the past like week or two has really made me rethink, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I was furious about, but it's the bottom line is that there's a lot of answers that need to be, um, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered this off season for this Mets team. Um, they, whether, regardless of whether we make the playoffs or not, um, I think that the, somewhat of the core is there, but it's the offense needs to be addressed big time. And I think, you know, Javier Baez, you know, that was, it was definitely a bad look a couple weeks ago with the, you know, thumbs down, had to do the apology and stuff, but it's, it was amazing how quickly he came back and, you know, nobody, nobody even talks about it anymore because of the game winning run that he scored too you know that's just kind of like how baseball works it's uh, it's pretty amazing how the the script kind of flipped on that but you know we beat up on the marlins uh and the nationals a bit this past these past couple of weeks which we had to do if we didn't do that we'd probably be completely eliminated we're only four games out now uh we get and we got some deciding series coming up we've been our offense has been amazing the past couple of weeks after being completely dormant for the past month. Um, but it's really going to tell if we're a playoff team in the Yankees series. And then we got the Cardinals. We're playing in Milwaukee. Um, the, another tough, there's another tough series too coming up. Um, I know we have the Braves at tour at the end of the season. We still have the Phillies too. Like we, we're, we don't have an easy schedule coming down to the end. So that's really going to be the deciding factor. But, you know, I think, there's a lot of a lot of questions on offense is what has to be addressed this offseason because I think our pitching is there. I think, you know, our starting pitching is there. I want uh Stroman and Syndergaard back. I want I think our our bullpen is there too. We're starting to we're developing um a good young bullpen. We got some guys under contract too. We're gonna have to figure out Lugo, we're gonna have to figure out Castro, you know, their contracts ending soon. But on offense is really going to be the interesting thing you know do we re-sign Javier Baez that's the big question and if you do in my opinion I think uh you have to trade JD Davis has to be traded and either Dom Smith or Jeff McNeil has to be traded too I think two of those guys have to be traded and the big question is is there going to be a DH in the National League next year too that's that's what I want to know because Dom Smith is a perfect DH he can he can be the primary DH against righties um, you can hold on to him if there's a DH, but and McNeil could become your everyday left fielder. But also, the question is, do you re- give Baez big money? Baez is going to demand probably in the 150 to 200 range. There's the, they're thinking uh, probably six or seven years. Do you give him a similar contract to what you gave Lindor when we do have Ronnie Mauricio coming up as a shortstop? Obviously, with Lindor, he would be a, he'd move to second base. Brett Beatty, who's coming up potentially next year, who's perceived as our future third baseman and Mark Vientos, who is kind of a utility player who's been raking in the minors that they think has a lot of potential and Khalil Lee too. Khalil Lee came up at the beginning of the season. They kind of threw him into the fire when we had a lot of outfielders on the injured list, but, and he didn't play that great, but he's been playing great in triple A. And a lot of people are wondering if, you know, we like Conforto walk and, 
you know, have him take over right field next year. I don't think necessarily we can bank on that happening. You can't really, I, he's only our number seven, number eight prospect. He definitely could turn into a starter, but you can't bank on that happening. We definitely have to either uh, retain Conforto or we have to address the outfield in a way, but that's, I, I think that bias could be a good addition. I, there's one guy that I think would be awesome for this team that I, to sign in free agency and that's Jesus Aguilar. Um, that would be a good, like, cost cost efficient signing for the Mets. I should think. I, I, I would not be opposed to that for your sake at all. Now, that's only if there's a DH, obviously, because Pete's our first. True, player. true. That's a, that's only if there's a DH. But if there's a DH, I think he could be a perfect guy because he is literally the the kind of bat that we're missing. Pete drives and runs, and Javier Baez drives and runs too. But we have a bunch of slap hitters, um, Nimmo. McNeil that aren't huge RBI guys and they don't have to be huge RBI guys but um, I think Aguilar is one guy that kind of pops into my mind that could be a great platoon DH with Dom Smith next year say something like that you know if there if there definitely is a DH it's it it's going to be interesting to see if there's going to be a DH this is off topic but if Albert Pujols uh, goes to National League this this is because it will be a DH he will go to the Cardinals there's a DH easily Definitely. Well, that's assuming he even returns at all because he's he's he up there in age at 41 years old. I don't know if he's going to come back next season. By the way, before I forget, we do have a comment here. Clark Posho, one of my good friends, known him probably since I was like 9 or 10 years old. He says, let's go Mets. The Mets are back, baby. Paul, I'm sure you appreciate that comment. Yep. Mets are back. He, he is one of the biggest Mets fans you'll ever meet, by the way. I should point that out there. But in any event, yeah, you know, Getting back to the Mets, I look at their schedule. I mean, I think part of the reason they went on that streak is because you had the Marlin, you have a national series sandwiched right in between two Marlin series. Obviously, the Mets are supposed to win that, although you could also look at it that maybe the players are like rallying around the whole Javier, Javier Baez thumbs down situation. Yeah. Whatever it is, the Mets, to their credit, are taking care of business, which incidentally was their old victory song years ago at yep. city field and Shea, but you know, I think it was much needed and granted they did lose a few bad games to the nationals having an Edwin Diaz blown save in there. And then you had a game where I believe Lindor and Baez actually got benched and they lost by one run. So those could also really come back to haunt the Mets. But I think if you look at their schedule, Another team they're playing in that stretch, by the way, that we didn't mention, the Red Sox. They have a brief two-game series at Fenway Park, which Mm -hmm. I'm going to go on a limb and say that's probably the most meaningful games that they've played at Fenway since maybe the 1986 World Series. Probably. So these next few weeks, and it starts with the Subway Series, it can really make or break the Mets, like regardless of where you look at it. And – it's really going to be tough too, because we still don't know whether DeGrom's going to even make it back to the rotation. If, if you guys get him back, can you imagine how much of a godsend that will be? I know. It, it, that's exactly it. Like I, I'm not bracing for DeGrom to come back. You know, it seems like we definitely have to take him easy. He had a partially torn into UCL. That's, you know, kind of just, that news kind of just broke yesterday, which was a little shocking that, that it was that bad. They were telling us it was arm discomfort for such a long time, but you know, there's definitely no need to rush him back. Even if we make a playoff push, because the last thing we need is him to have Tommy John surgery for the second time, for the second time in his career. So I, 
I don't think that um, I'm not really like bracing for him to come back. If he comes back, obviously it would be fantastic, but I think that we got enough depth in our starting rotation too. When some other guys come back and I think that the the way things have been going to right now has been pretty solid. I think Syndergaard's going to be on his way back. He probably won't be a starter, though. They, it seems like they're going to use him out of the bullpen. Um, probably for the best. Yeah, especially coming back from Tommy John. Uh, but McGill's been great. Uh, Carrasco, we got, got to try to figure out. He's been struggling a little bit uh, this season, but it's, um, you know, I think McGill's, McGill's been doing great. Strowman's had a st- all-star year. Uh, Taiwan Walker's had an all-star year. We've definitely, you know, got some other guys who can carry the load. For sure. And I'll say this too. I think the thing that actually surprised me after their win streak, I didn't realize how close they were to a, to that second wild card spot. Like I didn't realize yeah. how much of a, how much of a cluster, you know what it was. But then again, the Padres have really been collapsing as of late. And while the Reds had like a pretty good stretch, now they're sort of like falling apart and, they're actually tied with the Padres for that second spot. But if you really look at it, I think the Padres technically are ahead by one game in the all important loss column. And Mets are actually just a little bit closer to that wild card spot than the, than the division. Cause they're three and a half games out 70 wins, 69 losses. And for the division, they are, I want to say, Oh, actually, no, they're the same amount, three and a half games, but Still, you get the idea. Like, do you see the that second wild card spot as a possibility, or are you like pretty much all all in on that division? I mean, even since the preseason, we all kind of like geared up for um it for that not being like really the option. The uh, right. the wild card kind of like just being um like. I kind of a reach even more of a reach than the division, but I think, you know, it's possible. I think the Padres have kind of come down to earth. They, they have such a stacked team, but the only problem is they've had a lot of injuries. Their rotation has not been great as of late. And the Reds too, you know, have, have a pretty solid lineup. They've, you know, um, Joey Votto kind of broke out the second half of this season like you know like he always does he always finds a way to to put together good numbers every single year but Castellanos has played great but they're coming back down to earth a little bit if we catch fire I think we could possibly catch a wild card but I still think that winning division is the better opportunity to make the playoffs and the more likely opportunity because right the the Padres are one win streak away from you know putting the second wild card to bed yeah, in my opinion. And you really don't want it to come down to that wild card game because yeah. let's face it, and I'm not trying to like offend you right here, but like we know how your bullpen's been in big games over the past few years. And all it takes is really one melt. Forget the fact that it's a one game. Even in a normal best of seven or best of five series, all it would take is one meltdown for the bullpen to change momentum. And I'm not really yeah. just saying for the Mets, like the Yankees too have had that issue. And We'll get to them in a bit, but another thing I want to mention with the Padres, though, if they miss out, though, on the playoffs, it's because of that losing streak they had that involved getting swept. I think they got swept by the Diamondbacks, or or at the very least, they lost two out of three, but they also got swept by the Rockies. I know that for sure. Yeah. So if the Padres miss out in the playoffs, I just want to mention, they have no one to blame but themselves, but the the Braves, though, are kind of streaky because since they're not fully healthy, you know, they, they don't have Acuna. They're still without some of their top starting pitchers. 
it's definitely not out of the question, but I, 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 if I were on your side of this whole subway series, I would agree with you that the, the division is what you should be playing for. Because as I said, the wild card game, not only is the wild card game a crapshoot, and I'm not just talking about with the bullpen, the wild card game can be a problem because what if you face a really hot pitcher for the other team? Yep. Yeah. Like, let's say, God forbid, the Yankees are going to go to the wild card game, which is looking more and more likely if they even make the playoffs at all. Like, they could potentially be facing a really hot Chris Sale or one of the pitchers that the Blue Jays got at the deadline because looking at the Blue Jays, and I said it at the deadline too, I appeared on Alec Walt's show, I said, don't be surprised if the Blue Jays make that run to the wild card. And now that's looking even more and more likely. And, yeah. you know, Dom, I think that's now a perfect segue to get into our team, the Yankees. And as I said, the Yankees have really taken another 180 pretty much since that 13-game win streak ended. They won two games at Oakland. And after winning the second game, I'm thinking, wow, they got it. they're getting a split at Oakland. Like, this is a place where the Yankees have historically struggled. In fact, up until this year, they'd only won one game at the Oakland Mausoleum. But Crazy. now all of a sudden... You lose two. Okay, you lose the first game by one run. Understandable. You weren't going to win 20 games in a row. But then the second game, they had runners in scoring position problems. And then you let Tony Kemp hit a go-ahead home run. And then they start to lose two out of three to the Angels. Now, granted, Garrett Cole obviously saved them in the third game. I think that's when you sort of start to feel a little bit nervous because then you see Aaron Boone's hitting the panic button. He's putting, He's sitting Luke Voigt despite his hot streak. And then... He's going with other relief pitchers who you can't really trust. Although, to be fair, the relief situation hasn't really been something he can control due to injuries. But that's besides the point. Now you're at you lose two out of three to the Orioles, and the first two against the Blue Jays. Now they've really hit rock bottom. And going into that Blue Jays, I don't know about you, Dom, but I was thinking that this was the series that was going to make or break the Yankees. Hey, this is the toughest team. Like this is. We're facing one of the hottest teams in baseball. And I knew, you know, it's going to tell us, tell us a lot. And the Blue Jays look great. We look lifeless against them. Uh, so far right now, no, no one scored yet. But uh, hopefully we try to win this game. But, you know, they look, like I said, they look lifeless. Um, losing to the Orioles like that, losing that series was just god-awful. I don't know how. Uh, I, I just can't. I couldn't even believe that. To the well, order. to be fair, they can't really look lifeless if they haven't batted yet. It's still the, only the top of the first, and they haven't. I mean, the series in general. But no, you're right. They've only scored one run in 18 innings against the Blue Jays, and if you really go back, maybe one run in the last 20 innings, because I'm including the Baltimore meltdown with Andrew Heaney, who, yep. let's be real, he probably if if the Yankees didn't just all of a sudden trade for him at the deadline, he would have been DFA'd by now easily. But unfortunately. I, well, now at least you got Luis Heel in the rotation. And you know what? Even if Luis Heel has a bad start today, I'm not going to shame him because if we're being honest, after three games and not giving up a run, he should have been staying in the big leagues all along. Yeah, I didn't understand why they demoted him. You, you need starting pitching help. He's been great in those three starts. Why not keep him up? Why do we have Heaney up? Why do we have Kirksey up? Why? Krisky, I mean. I don't understand. Even Clark- I mean, Clark Schmidt, too, that's in AAA. I don't know why he's not up. Clark Schmidt has good stuff. I don't get that either. I know. He had some flashes in in 2020. What about Davey Garcia? Whatever happened to that guy? And Davey Garcia, too. He's still in AAA. He fell off. Interesting. Badly. He's a too. Why not call him up? 
I, I'd still trust him over Andrew Heaney at this point. And Brooks Krisky is one of those guys that, like, I ended up, like, going to the Labor Day game against the Blue Jays, who, like, that was, like, the one game, first to- time I went to a game in a long time where, like, after the first inning, I just wanted to head out because I just had that vibe that it, it was going to be bad. I know what you mean. Like, they gave up those back-to-back home runs. Like, right as I got in, they gave up the back-to-back home runs to Semyon and Vlad Guerrero Jr. And then I'm, I'm thinking, okay, here we go. It's another tie-on bomb. And tie-on, you know, I'll give him credit because he had a good, like, midsummer. Now he, start, he then looked like he was falling off. I can't really shame tie-on either. He pitched as well as he could, all things yeah. considered. When you look at the lineup that the Blue Jays have, only giving up, what, two or three runs? That, it's that's really not bad. too bad. Yeah. And I would say that the Yankees failed with runners in scoring position, except they hardly ever got runners in scoring position because now you have DJ LeMahieu freaking hitting into double plays left and right. It's like, what happened to the guy who like won the batting title like in 2020? And what happened to the guy who like in 2019 was probably the most valuable player of this team because he was the only guy that wasn't even hurt that year. And then you go into the ninth inning, you knew it was inevitable they were going to lose, but they had to put Brooks Krisky in there. And he loads the bases, he throws a meatball to Marcus Semyon, and he hits it right into the left field seats. You, you just knew. It was the, I can't even remember the last game I went to where I just knew it was over after the first inning. I really can't. That's how bad it's been. Yeah, it's it's been a bad stretch, and you know, hopefully, uh, this like like we talked about this series, this upcoming Subway series is going to tell a lot about both teams. And to, see and to top it all going. off, Garrett Cole hurts his hammy tomorrow. That's just great. Of course, that is the one guy we could ill afford to lose. Now, granted, has Cole always had his best stuff this year? No, I'll I'll be the first to admit that. But lately, he's been the one pitcher. Actually, well, no, maybe you could argue Jordan Montgomery. He's been pretty solid, too. I just wish he could get more run support. He has been the one pitcher, and he's been a true ace. He's the guy that in big games, he's like, jump on my back. I got this. We're going to win these games. The type of pitcher that we haven't seen since Karsten Charles Sabathia. (laughs) Then he hurts his hammy, and we don't even know how long he's going to be out. Hammy injuries are no joke. Mm -hmm. At the worst time. And if the Yankees, God forbid, miss the playoffs by even one game, that's going to be one reason that I think that I think it's going to be the case. But I think the main reason is because, well, you had that stretch where they struggled hitting with runners in scoring position. And then you also had that stretch where you lose seven games to the Orioles, seven games to the Orioles. That's 16% of Baltimore's wins. Like I don't get it. I don't get it either. I'm sorry. I can't believe I'm I'm like ranting like this, but like every time I watch this team lately, they just they make me want to pull out my hair. And not to mention, how many times do we have to see Glaber Torres botch ground balls before we realize yeah. maybe we got to end that experiment too? Yeah. This year's shown that he's not he, he's much more comfortable at second base. Even though he came up as a shortstop, he's a second baseman. He needs to go back he there. He's not a shortstop. Just too and many he's comfortable he's at comfortable. second base too. Yeah. It, 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 he like you know that's the problem too. Lemay use at second base, so they're gonna have to figure some things out. So I don't know. As and, of now, I even though like his bat isn't the same as even though Glaber is not having a great year offensively either. But 
Velasquez just brings a spark to this team. I would be more comfortable with him at short, just at the rest of the year for the most part. I would. Yeah, you know, I can. I honestly can live with him maybe if they wanted to use him as a bit of a stopgap option before Anthony Volpe comes up. I think that would be pretty – that wouldn't be such a bad idea. Because yeah. Volpe looks pretty good. He's been raking it in AAA. Obviously, he's not ready yet, but let him let him get developed for another year or two, and then we'll see him. Hopefully, he can at least play shortstop. And, you know, this pat today really made me realize how spoiled we were at shortstop. But I'm going to talk about that ceremony right at the end of the show. Little tease for you guys. But before I really get any further, I want to show a few more of the comments here. John Rankin, JR, how's it going? Look, <laughs> look up in that box there in the Yankee shirt. Great to see you, John. Thank you for the comment. And guys, if you want to comment and talk to us and interact with us about the Subway Series and both of our teams, please do so in the comment section down below. And obviously the one and only Tom Scavetta. Good evening, gents. Tom, we wish you were on the stream with us. I'm sure you probably have a lot to say about your New York Metropolitans, but thank you for checking in as well. Always good to hear from you, my guy. And so I think having gotten my little Yankee rant fest out of the way, I think we should talk about the Subway Series itself. So the Friday night game, that's the one that we're all going to. I'm really excited to see you guys at Springfield for that game. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let me take a look at the pitching matchup. I believe you have Taiwan Walker. Hasn't been decided yet for the Yankees. What do you what do you guys look for in that game? I to be honest with you, um, I think it's gonna be I think Corey Kluber is was possibly gonna be pitching for the Yankees. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah, like, it hasn't been decided, but I think Kluber's the probable. Um I you know, that game is gonna be interesting. Walker's been giving up the home run ball big time, so he's gonna to have to Watch out pitching to Stanton, uh, Judge, and Gallo. He's going to have to keep the ball down. Uh, his... yeah, actually, it's, it's uh, Montgomery who's starting. Oh, it is going to be Montgomery. That's going to be good. So, since Montgomery's starting, then we probably – I mean, Nimmo's hurt. So, Pilar is definitely going to start. I mean, obviously, Lindor, Baez. Uh, J.D. Davis will probably start. Uh, maybe they might stick him in left field. He hasn't played left field since 2019, but I could see them trying to stick him in left field, sitting McNeil and because Jonathan VR has been red hot. He has to play and he's also a switch hitter. So Jonathan VR has been one of the hottest hitters in baseball over the past like week or two. He's been ridiculous. So he has to play. I could see JD Davis possibly squeezing him into the lineup. Um, they're just going to have to, they're going to have to keep it going. They're going to just have to keep it. Being aggressive on the base paths, the Mets, that is. Um, they over the they've been so conservative on the base paths all season long. We always heard that um that you know they were going to change the narrative this year. They're going to try to steal more bases. We brought in VR, we brought in Pilar, we brought in guys who have stolen base uh, you know, previous stolen base uh records to their careers and it really hasn't been the case as except for the past couple of weeks when the team has shown like so much more life, everybody's starting to steal bases. They're starting to get more aggressive on the base pass. So they got to just keep doing that. I think try to steal some runs. You know, I think Taiwan, you know, Taiwan's going to have to try to keep the ball down. Definitely. 
needs to be conservative pitching to Stanton, Judge, and Gallo, especially with Walk, the amount of home runs Walker's been given up the second half of this year. But that, those are really going to be the keys to the game and just kind of like and try to hit Montgomery around a little bit, you know, get guys on base, try to move them over, you know, just playing smart baseball. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's easier said than done, but this is some of the things that I've been screaming about for the Yankees. Get them on, get them over, get them in. It's yep, yep. you'd think it was like you'd think it was like trying to solve advanced calculus sometimes with the, like the way they played. But uh, game two, I so if Montgomery is pitching on Friday, then that would probably mean that we would be seeing Kluber. Yeah, Kluber on Saturday. That's a game I'm probably going to have to give to the Mets give, with the way that Kluber is pitching because if I'm going to be honest with you. Corey Kluber was brought back way too soon. And I think that was really evident in both of those starts. He did not look like he had it. And yeah, I, I'm really not confident about this game. I don't know who the Mets are throwing out there. Yeah, the Saturday. Mets are throwing out uh, Trevor Williams. Um, you know, he's not great. I think that's a guy we could easily hit. Yeah, I, I see Trevor that. Williams is on paper right now to start that game, but I don't think he's actually going to start that game. We've been using Trevor Williams uh, as like our sixth starter uh, when we have double headers, all that kind of stuff. So I think, I think honestly, I think actually McGill is probably going to start Saturday and Carrasco is probably going to start Sunday. Okay. So that's that's okay. why that's why I think I don't think it's going to be Williams, but they they put down Williams because he's got to start the last couple of the. Uh, uh, turns around the rotation because of some double headers and stuff, but it's, he probably won't be pitching Saturday. I think it's going to be McGill, if I remember correctly. We'll see. As for the Yankees' offense, you know it could go either way because you know how our luck is with a pitcher who hasn't really made too many big league starts. It's Baltimore, and obviously that's it's not great luck. Obviously, as as you know what I'm going at, like every time they and. Well, usually I talk about that with a pitcher making his debut, but when it's like a pitcher in the National League, they often seem to like struggle. They make him look like Sandy Koufax, essentially. It's true. But I don't know. I think if there's one game I have to give to the Mets prediction-wise, I would say that it's Saturday. And for Sunday, obviously, you said it's going to be Carlos Carrasco pitching for the Mets. believe and so. Carrasco. Let me try to do the math. Dom, help me out before I struggle trying to count the rotation in my head. I believe that probably would be Cole's spot, but we we know how that's going to be. We yeah. probably it's not looking good there. So it'll be Tyone. Yeah, I'm I'm a little iffy about that. I want to say the Yankees win that game, but I mean, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's been yeah towards the second half of the year he's been phenomenal. Like, I mean, besides a couple of starts against like. The Blue Jays giving up those home runs to guys who are red hot like Vlad and um and Simeon. You know, you just got to give him like I think this is a good matchup for him. Honestly, I think eventually he'll have a nice, like a pretty good. That's true. So I'll give him, I'll give him the edge in this one. That's actually a good point because he's faced National League lineups before. It's not going to be, he's not going to face a lineup that's as that's quite as good as the Blue Jays, and so I think if I'm going to get make a prediction. I'm going to tentatively say Yankees take two out of three, but as I said the last time we did a show, I can't really say that with 100% confidence, but if they're going to do anything to save their season, and they have to win this series, and I think another reason that that I'm going to take the Yankees two out of three is it's really based on past history because every time the Yankees and the Mets will have six-game subway series, like – 
it's always going to be a split or at least not at least more often than not. Yeah. Rare, every now and then you'll, you'll maybe see one team taking four games and another, like maybe every like two to three years. And even rarely you'll see like somebody sweeping the entire thing, but that's only happened. I think two or three times really ever since, ever since interleague play became a thing in 1997. So I'm going to say the Yankees probably win two out of three, but, if I'm confident about that, then then I'm lying. And I, I don't know about how you feel about the Mets, Paul, but I'm sure you probably aren't really as confident about two out of three either. I, I'm going to say Mets could take two out of three, but again, like, like you, I'm not extremely confident. I would say uh, we win Friday, Saturday, and lose Sunday with Carrasco pitching. If, if anything's going to happen, I think Carrasco versus Tyone is going to be a high scoring game. I think that that's, that, that could be, that could end up being the shootout on, uh, on the Sunday night baseball, that one, because, um, you know, both pitchers have been struggling a little bit. Tyone's been a little bit better recently, but it, overall this season, saying Carrasco, you know, has not been able to figure it out that well coming off the injured list, but for, I'm, Cautiously optimistic about Friday and Saturday. I think that those could be games that we could win, especially uh, with Walker on the mound. And if McGill's pitching Saturday, um, I think he would probably would. If Trevor Williams is pitching, that might be a different story. But even though Trevor Williams has been pretty solid his for his first few outings with the Mets, he got hit around a little bit against the Nationals on Sunday. But his other last his other couple starts, he gave up like one run in eleven innings or something like that. But again, you know, Trevor Williams, he's always due for to get bombed every once every you know few outings. So uh, it, that'll be an interesting one. But if McGill's pitching, you know, I think that we we could definitely have the edge. He's been on fire. Now, personally, I'm really interested, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what the Mets do for the pregame on Saturday, because as we know. Saturday is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I don't know if you guys remember where you were. I remember being taken home from school pretty early by my mom. I had, like, no idea what was going on. And obviously the impact of what happened, like, to the whole city didn't really hit me until maybe I was, like, a few years older, say about 10 years old. Of course. So I, I, I don't know. I like that the Mets are bringing back the whole NYPD caps. I think that's yeah. going to be a nice touch. And – I don't, I don't know what type of like ceremony they're doing. They'll probably have some band like unfurl the flag in the middle of the field. But what I'm really also going to be looking forward to is I know they're probably going to bring a lot of players from both of those teams back then. And I think the Joe Torre first pitch to Bobby Valentine, or actually, no, it's the other way around because the Mets yeah. are the home team. They're going to have Bobby Valentine throw the first pitch to Joe Torre. That's going to be that. awesome. That's I would be, imagine there's probably not going to be a dry eye in the stadium that oh, day. No. Like, and uh, a bunch of the players from the 2001 teams, I know Piazza is going to be there. Oh, um, he has to be. Uh, yeah, Piazza is a definite. I think John Franco is going to be there. There's a handful of the 2001 Mets that are definitely going to be there. And I would be shocked if, uh, if a handful of the 2001 Yankees aren't there. too. I'm sure that's, I'm sure they're going to have the representatives from both of those teams. You know, I kind of – one of the reasons that I kind of wish I was, like, maybe five to ten years older was because I think I would have really fully got to understand, like, how great of a run, like, the Yankees and Mets made. Now, granted, yeah. I know the Mets did not quite make the playoffs. I know they tried making a late run right at the end of the season, but they unfortunately missed out, out on the wild card. But yeah, 
I think the thing that resonated with everyone was the first New York City sporting event, July 21st, 2001. Braves are up 2-1. to one. It's the bottom of the eighth. I don't know why I can't remember the Braves relief pitcher off the top of my head, but the Mets had a runner on first. Mike yeah. Piazza comes up. And listen, you can be a Yankee f- fan like me and still appreciate how great of a moment that was because while obviously it didn't completely heal the city because l- like given what a lot of these families went through, n- nothing it's, it takes a lot to really recover from, from what happened like that. Mike Piazza's home run at least provided like a little bit of medicine. And every time I watch the highlight of that game, like I get the chills, like just seeing him pumping his fists and seeing how much Shea shook back and forth. Really both of our stadiums back in the day shook back and forth. No, such an amazing moment. And it was such a majestic home run too. It was like so high up in the center field and it goes right down. Incredible. Yeah. And John Franco, I think, I don't know if you know this, but fun fact, he, I believe his father was a New York City firefighter. He actually wore a shirt of – or not a firefighter. He did something for the city. I, I don't remember what it was, but he wore one of his his father's, like, shirts representing, like, Blue Collar of New York Yeah, that he pitched. And I think one of the reasons Met fans really loved him so much was because he was a New Yorker, and I think he pretty much related to all the Blue Collar workers. Yeah, no, That's definitely. Cool. That's definitely true. That was a special night for without a doubt, you know, kind of just – um, took it took your mind off of everything that was going on, you know, for both of the teams. That was the great part, you know. George Bush throwing out the first pitch at the Yankees game too, you know, just just a, a few iconic moments, you know. No matter, no matter, that like was October thirtieth, two thousand one. That was Game Three of the World Series. Yeah, that that was that was the World Series. That's yeah. See, that was that was amazing. And then then obviously you had the game September twenty first for the Mets. Um, the for their first game back, so it was, it was amazing, and it was just, um, you know, I similar to you, just like you, just like you said, I wish that I was old old enough to really watch that and like appreciate it when it happened. I you know, I do remember nine eleven. Um, to a degree, we were we were all mm-hmm. uh pretty much four or five years old at that time, yeah. but, we, yeah. but I remember a little bit, but it's not enough to, you know, appreciate those kind of moments like the Piazza home run. So, and for me personally, I don't know how you feel about this, Dom. Whenever I look at Yankees, like playoff runs, the 90, the 96 through 2001, or really I should say 98 through 2001, because the 97 Yankees lost out in the division series. The Yankees had a streak of playoff series that they won that, in the wild card game and given the way like certain teams make the playoffs, I don't think you're going to see a streak like that ever again. And for them to go for what would have been their fourth consecutive championship with that whole backdrop made everything. I think it gives me the more, all the chills every time I really look at the highlights, like yeah, they were way, if I remember correctly from what I looked up, they actually had a bit, bit of a fight with the Red Sox for like the first half of the season. Then then the Red Sox faded. They had a really bad stretch, and the Yankees pretty much had the division all wrapped up by the time the middle of September rolled around. And so they got to the playoffs, and it really was the last gasp of that old guard of the Yankees because Paul O'Neill was retiring after that season. Mm-hmm. Chuck Knobloch was going to leave as a free agent. Scott Brocious ended up retiring. Yep. Tina Martinez was also a free agent. He ended up going to the Cardinals the next year. So I feel like that last playoff run for the Yankees really could have been like a last dance a la the nine late nineties bulls. So it was really amazing. You had 
they were down two nothing against the Oakland A's in the division series. And one of the things that's in my intro video for this show is the Derek Jeter flip play. And I'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end of the show because for a reason that you obviously know why. But yep. that play, to put it simply, is one of the most heads up plays that you will ever see by any shortstop. Like you mm-hmm. have to like know exactly where the ball's going. For him to be able to throw I think it was Jeremy Giambi they threw out. Incredible. It changed the whole series. Now, granted, the A's probably, at the very worst, would have just tied the game. Maybe the Yankees still would have won. But, like, the fact that it saved them and it catapulted the Yankees to come back in that series, and then for them to to roll over a Seattle Mariners team that won 116 games, it was amazing. And then to top it all off, you had the World Series. Now, obviously, the Diamondbacks were the better team, if, if you really look at the numbers. But the Yankees had those three magical nights at the stadium. As Paul mentioned, you had the day George Bush threw out the first pitch, a perfect strike, mind you. And then the next day on Halloween night, Tino Martinez hits a home run to tie it, and the Derek Jeter becomes Mr. November just as the clock struck midnight. And then the next day you had Brocious hitting a tying home run hours after Paul O'Neill was getting serenaded by the Bleacher Creatures in his last home game. And to have them win that in the 12th inning, you couldn't help but feel like it was destiny for the Yankees, but Unfortunately, we know how that series ended. The Yankees lost a tough one, and I could go more into detail really about that whole playoff run and how after the Yankees lost, it really changed the way the team was. Like They really slowly lost their level of invincibility after that. But even with that World Series loss, I think those were all special moments for a city that was healing. And that Yankee team, like for a lot of reasons, I wish that Yankees team could have really won it all. But when I really look back at it, like given that it was an 9-11 backdrop, I think that's one of the main reasons why I wish the Yankees had won that World Series. And that's really the one loss I would reverse in Yankee history. But nonetheless, it, it's a special team. And you can maybe argue that it was it was the greatest team of all time. And for them to like be united during that whole like month or two afterwards, it, it was truly amazing. And it's great to really learn more about that as I got older and to really know how big that was. Dom, do you have any thoughts? Thoughts of, of what? Uh, like, I want to see if you have anything you wanted to expand on before I move on to the hall of fame. Oh, uh, not really. Can't we talk about the hall of fame? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, I, I had so much to say about that season. Okay. I can't help okay. it. I'm, you know, me with looking up baseball history and all that stuff. So speaking of which, I think it's now time to talk about, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony today at Cooperstown. Now, Dom, I know this hits home for you and I, as you can see by my hat here. I'm obviously rocking it for Derek Jeter. But first, I want to talk about Marvin Miller. This is a guy who really was one of the big game changers in all of baseball. I think I think you guys know a little bit about the reserve clause, maybe. So Kurt Flood, you've heard that name before, right? He was the player that tried to challenge it. He did not like the fact that the Cardinals traded him to the Phillies, probably because St. Louis had the reputation of being a very racist city. and because, Or not St. Louis, I'm sorry. Philadelphia had that reputation. And given the way they treated Dick Allen, another guy who I think should be in the Hall of Fame, he felt that he had the right to like challenge it and go against it. And then Marvin Miller pretty much represented him in court and – I'm just going to give you the cliff notes to like, so that I don't go really too long on this Marvin Miller representing end up representing him. And then he ended up being the head of the players union and what he did for Kurt flood basically helped to set in motion free agency and 
stuff as we know it today. And the fact that he didn't really get inducted until this late, it's really pretty surprising to me, but like he really was an important figure and I'm glad that he finally got his, his just recognition. And another guy who got his just recognition. I love that Ted Simmons mentioned him in his hall of fame speech. He was another guy who actually didn't know that he had been denied the hall of fame induction on his first like year of eligibility. And he was off the ballot completely like, Looking at his numbers, he had 2,470-plus hits. I think he probably would have gotten closer had he gotten to 2,500. Because if you really look at the baseball voters, like, they seem to, like, count on their hands, like, with round numbers. But he was one of the better catchers in the league. And I think part of the reason he didn't get the recognition was because he was playing behind Johnny Bench a lot. And Johnny Bench, if you really compare anyone to Johnny Bench, that's really an unfair war. But Ted Simmons was good in his own right. Paul, I don't think you knew this, but I think up until Mike Piazza came along, I could be mistaken. I think he had the most home runs for a catcher. Who, Ted Simmons? Yep. I think he did. I think Piazza broke his record, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. He had seven seven all-star – or no, sorry, seven seasons where he hit over 300. He wasn't quite the defensive catcher that Johnny Bench was because Johnny Bench, I think, won a gold glove at least once every year of the 70s, but he was – a pretty consistent hitter and he made eight all-star appearances and considering how much of a leader he was i think it i think it was good that mlb righted around to get him in the hall of fame and yeah definitely one of the more underrated players of that decade and then obviously i know we've talked about this guy before larry walker paul i'm gonna yeah. let you take the floor for this one yeah larry walker was an amazing player i'm glad that he made us um you know, another guy that gets the bad rep from playing at Coors Field for playing with the Rockies, but it's absolutely deserved making it to the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Um, he was an amazing defender, too. He literally did everything, too. You know, he wasn't just a power hitter. He didn't just take advantage of Coors Field and stuff, too. And he was amazing for the Expos, which people, which, you know, people don't remember. But he bad 380 in a season. Uh, won his won the bang title. He is he was an all around superb player. He won a few gold gloves. You know he was he good stolen base guy. He li- did literally everything, and I'm glad that he. I thought he should have gotten in a little bit sooner. Uh, I'm glad that he got in altogether, and uh, you know I re- remember watching him at the end of his career with the Cardinals uh, when he was you know coming down to the end. But that's that's about like the most I remember it. But um, yeah, he was he was a great player, and I think that he was. Uh, I'm glad that that he finally got in after a bunch of attempts. I'm shocked that he only had five All Star appearances and three Silver Sluggers. Yeah. But then again, when you consider how many great players were there during his era in the '90s, whether it be steroids or not, like. You really look you look at his career numbers, he's actually not that if not far off, he's actually his numbers might even be or at least if we're talking about his slash line. His slash yeah. line's pretty similar to Ken Griffey Jr.'s. Yeah, his slash and his line OPS is like slightly better too. Yeah. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. It's very extremely underrated too. And a lot of people base it on the fact of playing a course field and all that kind of stuff, which I think is pretty ridiculous. Uh, you know what's even crazier about that? He only played 30% of his games at Coors Field. Yeah, it's true. And he played, and if you look at his away numbers too, even when he was on the Rockies, they were incredible as well. They were well. even better. They were even better. And when he was on the Expos, but that's but that's a main reason why he stayed on the ballot for so long. That's what everybody was saying is because mm-hmm. of the, the Coors Field, if he played for, you know, 
if he played at a, uh, a pitcher's ballpark, say he played for the Cubs his entire career or something like that, it'd be completely different. But it's, you know, I, he was in a, he was an amazing player. One of the best all around hitters of the nineties and early two thousands. If not, you know, he, he was, he was in the same category as, as all the other greats of the nineties. He was just very, uh, very quiet, not very talked about, kind of played for some under the radar teams, played for the Expos, played for the Rockies, not very mainstream teams. He wasn't as, uh, you know, as shiny of a player as Ken Griffey Jr. Right. Like all those kind of guys, but he was, he was amazing. But if you really think about it, like at least if we're talking about like the geek numbers, he was on par with Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, he was. He was got- I'm not going to say he was better than Ken Griffey Jr., but at least he you could make the argument that he was just as good because he had a solid career. And another big what if before I'm on before I move on to the main guy I really want to talk about, and Dom, I think you pretty much will be excited to talk about him too. Another thing I really want to bring up the big what if about the night. There's a lot of what ifs when it comes to the '94 Expos. That team had the best record in baseball up until the strike. They were 73 and 40. They were well on their way to winning the World Series, and if you can believe it, I believe that's uh, that's like the second or third Hall of Famer on that team because he had Pedro inducted yeah. five years ago. Imagine if they had like maybe not so much like won the World Series, but imagine if they had at least made the playoffs. Yeah. Maybe they let Larry Walker stays there. They give him another contract. Maybe the Expos become better because they're allowed to keep that squad around. Maybe he gets in sooner. Maybe he gets more of the recognition because think about it, Montreal at one point during the late seventies and early eighties was a big baseball town. And that's not yeah. just like, like delusional thinking just because they've long since moved. They really were when like they had the Gary Carters and the Andre Dawson's and the rock Reigns. like they could have been a good baseball town. Maybe they get a new stadium, but we'll never know. Larry Walker, at least he got inducted like right now. And I think the good thing about his induction, he's, I believe he's the first Colorado Rocky to have that logo on his hall of fame plaque. Yeah. Because they're oh, such a yeah. franchise, and I think they were the last team left that didn't have a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he he went in as a Rocky instead of an Expo. Yeah, he was only yeah, on the yeah. Expos from eighty nine to ninety four. He spent yeah. most of his years in Colorado. Yeah, so that makes sense. That's second why, Canadian Hall of Fame. What is that? And second Canadian, second Canadian in the Hall of Fame. That's Colorado. right. Who was the first? I forgot his name. Fergie Jenkins, Chicago Cubs. Oh, Fergie gotcha. Jenkins. He was Cubs and Texas Rangers during the seventies. He was Canadian. I didn't yep. know that. Yeah, he was – I think he was also from Ontario. Larry Walker, on the other hand, is from British Columbia. But, yeah, no, great player, very underrated, and it's great that the Rockies got some recognition. And I think the sad part about his induction, he might be the last, like, legitimate expo that could have been inducted. You had Vlad, you had Pedro, you had Carter, you had Rock Reigns, and you had Andre Dawson. I think they. I think that's pretty much all the expos legends ever that had the numbers that could get in. Yeah, I don't think any other Expos could possibly get in. And obviously, last but not least, before I sign off on the show, we got to talk about the man, the myth, the legend, now batting for the Yankees, number two, Derek (laughs) Jeter. That was good. What more can I really say about Derek Jeter that hasn't already been said? 20 years, 14 All-Stars, 3,465 hits, Five World Series rings. I mean, the intangibles and the numbers go on and on. But not even just the numbers either. Just like personality, just being clutch. Yeah. And just he just played the game right. And I loved what he said about his parents too, telling him like, you know, 
going up to his parents as a young kid, one day I'm going to be a player for the Yankees. I'm going to play shortstop. Didn't laugh at him. Didn't like, okay, okay, buddy. No, they're like, all right, do this, do that. And just, you know, supporting him the entire way. And him just being just positive the entire time, his entire career. Just always being a stand-up guy, complete role model. Like you said, boyhood idol. It goes for almost every Yankee fan, too, growing up with him. it's He was amazing. And he doesn't just pass the numbers test. He passes the eye test with flying colors. Like, people wanted, wanted to argue about his defensive metrics. And to me, this is where I hate really looking up numbers. Numbers are like quotes. They might reveal some stuff, but they don't reveal everything. Or at least that's the paraphrasing of the quote that I'm used to hearing. But I digress. The, Jeter's made some big plays over the course of his career. I mentioned the flip play, how he had to be no, he had to keep his eye on the ball and know exactly where it was going. And for him to just be able to flip out the runner at home, that was incredible. That's my favorite Jeter play of all time, even more than him crashing into the stands against Boston. I mean, don't get me wrong. That was a great play too. It, it showed you how tough Jeter was and how he would go all out to win whenever possible, even though that did hurt him at times, because there, there were times where he would play through like some pain in his career. But then again, there, there are, I can think of a number of Yankee legends that have done that. And he's another one of those guys that just represents everything good for what the Yankees are all about. There's literally not too much, many bad things I can say. And more often than not, when he came up, he came up in a big spot and got the big hit whenever necessary. Like I can't remember too many playoffs where Jeter really didn't have good numbers. He he was always a always phenomenal in the postseason. He, like, and I liked what he said too to Harold Reynolds. He was saying, I treated every game like it was every game. Like I didn't care that it was a playoff game or it's a, just a random regular season game. It just didn't matter. Play every game hard. It's, it's just like a great mentality. He's just, um, just always positive about everything. I love that. You know, there's a clip in one of the Yankeeographies. I think it's the Joe DiMaggio Yankeeography where there's a clip of Derek Jeter signing autographs for the fans. He turns around to the camera and he said, Joe DiMaggio was once asked, why are you playing hard on a random day for all these fans? And then he goes, because you never know when these fans are going to, are seeing me for the first time. That right there summed it all up. And I think, and I will, and it makes sense too. Cause he, he used that saying pretty much his whole career and you'll often see clips. I think one of my old Facebook cover photos was him tapping the sign that says, I want to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee that, which again, a Joe DiMaggio quote. Mm-hmm. So, and not even just the playoff hits, his 3000th hit being a home run, his last at bat at Yankee stadium. Gosh, you know, yes. Network today was airing, re-airing that game in the morning was eating breakfast, watching that. And then just watching him get the last hit. It just, Brings it gave me the chills. Yeah. And Dom, I don't know about you, but like the more I think about it and this is kind of the sad truth. I think we low-key took him for granted because how many shortstops do you see play 20 years for one team and be as steady as they come in his position? I don't – now, granted, he might not – I'm not saying he's the best shortstop of all time. But yeah, he's not. when you look at what he's done for all for all those years with one team, manned a position that's really import, an important position on the field Yeah, for all this time, I think it really makes it that much special. and. It, it, what's also amazing, he's only the 25th shortstop that's been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it, consistency was always – he was always consistent. That was – like, you know, it's true. 
20, 20 years of him just playing that position and like not really ever going on like a huge decline or anything. Like we did take that for granted. And now, you know, not saying towards maybe argue team. the last two years, like after he hurt his ankle was maybe one, but you yeah. didn't really see too many years of that decline. Yeah, exactly. And at the end of the day, I think Jeter pretty much knew like his time was up and it, as bittersweet as it was to see, just I couldn't help but be in awe that we got to see like 20 years. And Paul, I don't know how you feel about Jeter. I know you and I have had our back and forth arguments about Jeter over the years, but like, what are, what were your like full thoughts on Jeter? Well, I always respected him. I mean, like as a baseball fan, you always had to, um, you know, watching him as a Mets fan stuff, you know, was always jealous. Um, definitely you wanted that type of uh, player to be on the Mets. We had a very similar one with David Wright, but you know, but Jeter, it was just had an amazing career and he was, he was really like the face of baseball too, for a long time. He was, yeah. he's one of the most trained, the, one of the biggest figures in the entire sports. You know, there's, there's probably, there's a handful of names that are household names from baseball that, Anybody who doesn't even watch sports knows, and Derek Jeter is one of them. Um, you know, he he was he was an amazing player. You know, I we go back and forth about you know his defense sometimes. Like I, I you know say that partly to get under your skin, but <laughs> it, but he was he was great, and his consistency too was one. I think one of the most amazing parts. That's what that's why I look at. Um, you know, playing his entire career for the Yankees, playing his entire career at shortstop too. Just like you said, there's only 25 shortstops in the, um, in the MLB, in the baseball hall of fame, because shortstops cannot keep it consistent usually. And a lot of times they have to move to a different position because the shortstop is the captain of the diamond. You know, it's the most yeah. important, it's the most important fielder out there. So for the, the fact for him to be, to do that for five world series teams, you know, in New York city, he, he was built different and there's very few players like him. We probably will never, we're never going to see a Derek Jeter ever again. Um, we'll see players that, that could put up similar numbers to him, but we'll never see a guy like him. And so I always respected him. I always, you know, rooted for him from afar. I loved, uh, you know, his 3000th hit being a home run, that walk off being his final hit. You know, I just, just as a baseball fan, you got to enjoy those kind of moments because he, cause he's a legend. And I, I was happy. I wish he got a hundred percent, honestly, uh, of the voting, but it's, it's, it is what it is. At the end of the day, Willie Mays and Hank Aaron didn't get a hundred percent of the yeah. vote either, which is really surprising considering how talented they were. Neat, not even Babe Ruth got 100% of the votes. So it's real. I don't really care about that stuff. I know people are like joking, saying, oh, I want to get that one guy. At the, at the end of the day, that's not what's, what it's going to say on his plaque. That's yep. not what most people are really going to remember him for. They're no, going to no remember one's, yeah, no one's what going they to saw. And, you know, it's I, I just feel blessed because he represented what was one of many great eras in Yankee history and – I think basically, well, now I, I would, it's easy to say you appreciate him now with like the way our current shortstop's playing, but yeah, still it's, he's, he was one of a kind. And I, the only shortstops I can really think of who were maybe better, I would probably say Ozzy Smith defensively, the king, king of shortstops defensively, 13 yeah. gold gloves speak for itself. Yeah. Best defense. Ozzy Smith, Honus Wagner, 
oh Cal Ripken. I Cal Ripken. Yeah. As much as I love Jeter, I can't put him ahead of Cal Ripken in good conscience. Cal Ripken. I think I, think, I honestly think Cal Ripken is probably the best shortstop ever. Yeah, fielding wise, I would say it's Ozzy Smith, but overall, I would say it's probably Cal Ripken. Now we could probably discuss a Rod and where he would be had he stayed and whether or not he had stopped using PEDs, but that is a discussion for another day. But with that being said, guys, I want to thank you for taking the time as always to join me on this one hour, one hour ramble fest of the subway series in the hall of fame. Always fun talking baseball with you guys. Always fun, man. Of course, Hank. Appreciate you having me on. It was great. And let's go Mets this weekend. So yeah, and guys, before I before I end the show, I just want to give you a friendly neighborhood reminder. Please give us a follow on all of our forms of social media. You can find us on all on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Review and Preview. And of course, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. You have watched another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. Until next Wednesday, I'm your host, Hank and Dicker, and I will see you then.